Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again to Motivation with a Purpose every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TalkZone.com. I'm Rich Hallstrom. And right beside me once again is Zeke Bambolo, my co-host, and we are going to talk about a fascinating subject this week, Zeke, creating winning relationships through sports with our guest, Jose Rijo Berger from Rijo Athletics right here in Woodenville, Washington. Should be an exciting conversation. Rich, uh, you, you're setting me up, aren't you? I know you're setting me up because you just want to humiliate and humble me since you know that I'm such a, you know, a, a nagging parent to my child in, 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 their, in her sports and my upcoming son. So I think you planned this show just to put it in my face. And I want our audience to know that you know, our friendship is still going to stay intact because uh, you, you know I'm going to be the bigger person, but I'm looking forward to hearing what Jose has to teach us today. Well, uh, maybe he can uh, give you a little extra tips or a few extra ideas on what to do, uh, you know, when those uh, when those workouts don't just get completed exactly as they should be. But uh, I know you will try to be the bi- you will try to be the bigger person, and I will not get anything thrown at me across the studio. So uh, you mean I, can, you mean I, I can't will... grab my kid and shake her up really hard if she doesn't make a layup the way I want her, just the exact way I wanted her to do it, huh? You know, when she jumps off the wrong foot, man, you know, you just got to control yourself. <laughs> That's a lot you're asking there, brother. It's a lot you're of asking. Cor- but I- <laughs> of, of course, you know, jumping off the wrong foot, uh, you know, sometimes does work. You know, I've watched enough Washington Husky basketball games this <laughs> this week to figure that this week to figure that out and actually this year to figure that out, but that's another uh Another topic for another show. And I was we'll going to say, I'm not going in. there with you. You're on your own on that one, Rich. I'm not going down that road with you. I know where you're going. I'm going to leave the Huskies alone. Oh. We're in Husky land. We might get uh, get run out of town if you're not if we're not careful talking about Huskies uh, right now. Yes, we'll get uh, purple, tarred, and feathered all in <laughs> one swoop. Uh, so we will move on to much more positive things. Uh, creating winning relationships through sports is our topic. As you uh, probably surmise this week, Jose Rijo Berger, the creator and head of Rijo Athletics, is going to be our guest here in a few moments. He's written a brand new book by that very same title. He's a former uh, professional baseball player, played in the New York Mets organization, and is now a professional scout for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he has some unique insights from all his experience playing baseball, and several other sports on the collegiate and high school level. So it should be a really, really fascinating conversation as we take a look at right ways to coach kids and to coach talented kids and kids at all levels. And I think that's one of the biggest questions that we'll be able to answer today, as well as the way parents should communicate with coaches and fellow athletes and teammates in general. So all around, Zeke, I think we're going to get a real interesting picture of this whole phenomenon we call youth sports. Yes, yes. And, you know, this is a very, very uh, 
intriguing, very, very complicated subject, and people sometimes tend to under, uh, underestimate this, but we've seen, probably a lot of us have seen videos of that tyrant parent who's either leaning against the fence or, or is running on the court to fight officials, and, you know, and, and it's a hard conversation to bear on both sides of the equation, whether you're a child who is trying to learn and and dealing with uh, pleasing your parents and so forth, or you're a parent that just, you know, you just really want the best for your kid. And sometimes it gets so deep under your skin uh, that you don't know exactly how to react in a situation. Uh, you, you feel that this is your pride and joy, your precious child, and you feel someone is, is really um, treating them wrong, treating them bad. And there are all kinds of complications that goes on with this whole subject that uh, we're going to be looking forward to hearing what Jose has written in his book and how he, how we can touch the hearts of our audience out there uh, who are sports parents. And I know that there are some very, very good examples of what we talk about, what we are talking about today. And I think the biggest example that comes to mind, and there'll be a lot of parents out there and a lot of professional football fans who will remember this name, Todd Marinovich, who once played for the Oakland Raiders at one point and had uh, numerous problems on and off, on and off the field. Uh, his dad, Marv, had pushed him from a very, very early age, and there were uh, Sports Illustrated articles and all kinds of things, uh, basically uh, naming him the Robo-QB. Uh, we're talking about a, uh, a kid at one point who didn't have any, didn't have any sugar, uh, wasn't allowed to have cupcakes or, you know, some pretty, some very outlandish uh, things. And I think that's the horror story that a lot of people uh, play over in their minds when they talk about this subject. But right now we're going to put a, a much better spin on things. We bring Jose into the conversation. Uh, millions of parents sign up their kids to play organized sports each year with the intent that the experience will be both positive and enriching on and off the field for their family. But too often, the ideal fails to materialize in the situation, much to the frustration of everyone involved. Based on experience with, with thousands of families, Jose will show us the true value of sports today on Motivation with a Purpose in the lives of children and provide specific steps you can take to enrich your relationship with your son or daughter when thinking about sports. We welcome Jose Rijo Berger to the Motivation with a Purpose microphone today. Hi, Jose. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great subject to tackle in your book. Jose, creating winning relationships through sports. What event or series of events led you to want to write this book? Well, you know, doing what I've been doing for 13 years now since I left playing, I've just seen, unfortunately, I would like to say that I've seen lots of parents, you know, have a stronger relationship with their kids. And basically what I've seen is people falling apart and sons and daughters drifting away from mom and dad. And not even the overbearing dad, but just little subtleties that we'll probably talk about throughout the, the, the show to be able to give the insight of kind of do's and don'ts as a parent and how you, at the end of the day, you want your kid when he's off to college not to call you like a 19-year-old kid that says, you know, I want I want money. I want I want my 19-year-old son and daughters to be able to call me and to see how dad's doing when he's 19, 20 years old. And so sports are such an important part of just America and life and in the world 
how do we get to that point where we can get to, you know, when the kids are done playing sports and they're done with college or whatever level they get to, that uh, we're stronger because of it. And I've just witnessed so many families do it wrong that I've just really taken note and I wanted to see the families that have done it right and kind of implement those things that I've seen to be able to help families not go through that heartache and that, and that tough time. Jose, this is Zeke. I want to ask you here to jump in and let's set kind of a, a, a target if we can. Let's set kind of a bullseye for our audience and say, what is the purpose, first and foremost, in your mind, and let's be clear and direct, what's the purpose foremost of the parent-child relationship when it comes to sports? What's the purpose? Yes, what's the purpose? What are we shooting for? I mean, what is our target here? I mean, we're going to talk more about how we get there. But give us a big picture. Of what's the purpose of that relationship, that parent-child relationship in sports? Well, I think at the end of the day, all parents want help uh, with peers and coaches and people to, you know, get our kids to have the morals and values and character and all those things. And I think sports allows us, regardless of the sport you're playing, of course, I'm a little biased to baseball, but I think, you know, um, you can teach the discipline and the focus and the structure and the teamwork and, you know, putting others first and doing all the things that you want to do uh, as a parent, as raise your kids. How can we incorporate that just not only inside our home, but outside our home so kids can learn to be a good friend and a good teammate and think of others more important than themselves and do those things? I think sports can teach that more than the job you go to work at McDonald's when you're 15 rather than involved in sports and doing things. So, I think that's the biggest benefit that sports can offer families and kids as they're getting raised in their own household to be able to look at that. I mean, especially in this day and age, too, when we have, um, we, we, we tend to see more and more that there are such huge chasms of disconnect between parents and children. Uh, the social norms have have just changed dramatically. And so when you say that, you know, the other thing that comes to mind and all is, we, especially sports, gives us this great opportunity to just find the simplest things these days are, can we just spend quality time, just leisure time? And that is so important for families. And if it wasn't for so much the monetary value of sports and everything, and when we were growing up, I think for me especially, is that, I mean, even if at the time my, my parents were now always at my games, and I wasn't always looking over my shoulder for them, but I think I still had an overall picture. I still had enough of that time, parent-child time, that allowed us to develop in a good way that sometimes, whether it's the, the media aspects or just the fact now that everything, especially in America, is, is, when it comes to sports, is not monetized to some extent. It has increased the pressure on us, apart from just having those leisure moments in sports with, between parents and children, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, you know. And, you know, I think as you think of an owner of a training facility, I would tell people, train more, do more, do more, train more. What I've seen over the years, I mean, literally in the last five years, it's just went, I mean, almost to the point where it's, it, it's an obsession, where it's like it's everybody's identity is the sport, especially their first level of commitment, whatever that sport may be. And you would think I'd tell people to train more, and i tell them, you need to chill out and train less. Train if you can, and you have the ability to do it. Um, but you have one select team that does two times a week, and then, their competition says, well, we, they're doing two times a week. We need to do three. And then the other team says, well, we got to do four times a week. And if we're doing four times a week, well, we got to get training on the side. we got to do two days in All-Stars. And we got to do all these things. And it's just this, this compiling of more and more and more. And then you, you plan your vacations around all these things that you do. The family doesn't have dinners. They don't have breakfasts together. They, have, so they always have something going on with some sport and some event. And, and families have lost their identity in that. 
And then, you know, the, the cost of that is one of the chapters I wrote in the book. The cost of doing it wrong is pretty great. And uh, you got to be willing to be able to say no and be okay with that. And don't feel like you're just not ever going to catch up. It's okay to say no. And, and and it's one of the things I'm trying to teach people is, you know, it doesn't have to be more, 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 more. You know, it can, it can, it can be less. Just, just have balance in everything that you do. Hey, one of the things you talk about in the book that I think is very interesting is you really focus in on the 30-minute time frame or the 30-minute trip in the car, and you t- tell your parents and uh, other people that are involved in athletes' lives not to focus on the game during that conversation. Talk a little bit about that more. Well, that's where most of the feelings and the separation actually begins with the kids sports is actually in the car ride home because, you know, kids are kids regardless if they're eight years old or if they're 16 years old or whatever they be. On the car ride home, you you as a parent, and if I was to survey a 1,000 kids come in our facility, I could almost guarantee you that 998 would prefer not to talk about the game on the car ride home, you know, and, and, and what's happened is as parents, we want to teach, we want to train, we want to help, and we're thinking that we're helping them by being able to say, okay, well, you know, you went three for four, but on your fourth at bat, if you would have done this, you know, um, and and kids just want to be done with it. They want to be kids and they want to move on. And if they didn't play well, talking about it does not make it any better. If they play good, you could say, great job, I'm proud of you. But, you know, when I try to teach my own son and the kids on my team that I don't talk about winning and losing hardly ever, I talk about your attitude and your effort. If you have a good attitude and you have good effort, coach is going to be proud of you, dad is going to be proud of you, because those are things that you can control. You can't control about how you perform sometimes. In baseball, you can have a perfect swing, crush the baseball in a line drive, and you get out. So is there a reason to complain about that or get frustrated about it? There's nothing you can do about that. Uh, so you can focus on the things you can control, and that's attitude and effort each and every time. Jose, so why, sure well, why are you talking about that aspect? I want you to just uh, – there was something else that you wrote in your book that I thought was very intriguing as we come up on our next break here in, a, in about two or three minutes. But I want you to talk a little bit – you talked about – you had a chapter that talks about the differences between boys and girls, and you talk about things like pregame and postgame talk. So as you just give us that little bit tidbit there about conversation, give us a little bit of insight as well into what you've learned over the years between the differences of boys and girls, especially in, in how they compete and how they approach competition before and after. Well, you know, coaching both baseball and softball at both high levels, I've definitely known there's definitely a different approach to that. You know, from the boys' perspective, us men, we have a bunch of egos and we get in the way. And, you know, post-game, if, if, if you're coaching and you're talking to your kids, you want to point out to the boys, hey, you did a great job, you won the game for us. I mean, boys need that. They want that affirmation like, hey, coach is proud of me, dad is proud of me, um, whatever it may be. Say, I'm great job, way to win the game, way to get the butt over, and you tell that. And they need that. And, you know, boys need to play well, to feel well. Well, girls are the exact opposite. When I coach softball, I learned this real quick. After a game, you don't want to tell them how good they did in front of their peers. They just want to be part of the team. If you point them out and you get them in a position where they're, like, you know, separated from their team, like, okay, Jenny won the game for us. Great job, Jenny. She doesn't want that. And I learned that within real quick with girls because I could see there was kind of that, that separation. Like, she just wants to be part of the team, and you got to make sure that's the biggest difference between boys and girls to understand that. And then, you know, pregame, you're really giving those kids, especially girls, the confidence to say, hey, Coach believes in you. Never be afraid to fail. Go out there, compete at a high level. Do what you can. 
and, and do what you can control. Where boys, you got to push them a little bit and you got to challenge them because it's, uh, it's something that's in us to be able to say, you're good enough to get this done. And so at the end of the day, girls need to feel good to play good. Boys need to play good to feel good. And it's a balance as a father of two boys and two girls and also, you know, coaching both baseball and softball. We'll be back with more Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose. Our guest today is Jose Rijo Berger, the author of Creating Winning Relationships Through Sports. And we're talking about how parents, coaches, and athletes can come together to make sports a more rewarding uh a more rewarding activity for everyone. And, Jose, to lead off this section of the show, I want to ask you, how can parents support coaches better? How can parents support coaches better? You know, uh, one thing is let the coach coach. Uh, one thing that I talk about in the book is making sure you're not the parent that is uh, stressed up, walking up down the sideline or in the basketball court, screaming at the referee or whatever the sport may be. Let the coach coach. and. And if you have a, a problem or a concern, you know, I always tell coaches that I train is never let your parents complain via email. Everything needs to be done face-to-face the following day after the game, after things cool down or whatnot. Um, and communicate. It's good to have communication, whether your son or daughter is having uh, struggles at school or they're having struggles with their siblings or whatever whatever their situation is as a parent to try to Help your coach build them up, not just athletically, but whether it be spiritually, whether it be uh, whatever you need help with. Usually most coaches are in a position where they can have some influence on the kids. And so I think it's really important as a parent that you communicate more rather than less. So um, what I always tell coaches and, and parents to try to do them is, is make sure you're communicating. Don't just drop off your kid and say, okay, we'll go have practice. You know, look for some insight from your coach and uh, and give them the the, the direction that you would like help with your own kid because most coaches are coaching because they care. And if they care and they know what to work on with your kids, it's really a benefit. Yeah, I mean, we have a situation too, Jose, a lot of times, and I think you've dealt with a little bit of this as well, that uh, sometimes you have parents who feel, for example, that they know more than the coach. And uh, a lot of times they feel like uh, the best place to maybe to show up in front of the kids or to maybe give an opportunity to have that kid think that, oh, daddy's got your back. And my own, my, I'll give you one example. My own personal situation a lot of time for me a while back was I had a father who really wasn't involved at all in the life of the kid. And um, uh, it wasn't even an actual in-season thing, but it was kind of off where we had some spring opportunities, some off-season workouts at a, a, and games. And the father really approached me aggressively and challenged me, uh, but didn't realize that, uh, I mean, he, t- he took the wrong time. And so you talk about not, not having parents not do those kind of have that behavior in front of the children. Give us a little bit more insight about why not. Why, not, why shouldn't parents address coaches in front of the kids? Well, first, it's showing disrespect, and you don't want to show disrespect just to, just to do it. Um, we really want to put parents and kids to learn life process. So 
one big advantage to that is they just you know just after one another with that. So, um, you know, I've I've been in that situation where my son Nico, my oldest, has played for other coaches, and I knew more than they did, and and that was okay because it's good for sometimes for our sons and daughters to go play with somebody else and see maybe they thrive better in it. Maybe they will respect you more. Uh, as mom and dad as a coach once they see how good of a coach you are or maybe not so good of a coach. And so I think it's important to not be that dad or that mom that coaches every single sport or every single level of your kid's plan and not give them other exposure to other people because you might be surprised they perform better for somebody else or you might be surprised they start appreciating, you know, uh, mom and dad a little bit more. I mean, my son Nico asked me every time, you coaching today, you coaching today? And every time I say yes, he goes, yes, he gets excited and like, as a dad, that makes me so confident. Like, he wants dad coaching. He wants that around, and uh, that, that encourages And so, in, in the same breath, Jose, we've got to also look. I mean, I'm pretty sure we have, we have some people listening to our program as well who are coaches. So, we've been talking a lot, putting a lot of pressure, if I can say pressure, meaning in a, in a nice way, obviously, on the parents and how they should react to coaches. But what are some things coaches can do as well to uh, to enhance or develop a good relationship with the parent because, uh, again, I mean, what 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 is the coach's view on this whole? So you know, I've been fortunate, and I will be fortunate this year. We'll be coaching thousands of coaches and teaching coaches how to conduct and, and work with kids and stuff. And one thing that a, the coach really needs to focus on is making sure it's not about their son or daughter. Uh, I've seen this too long, and everybody that has played any ball sports, especially at the youth level, has seen a mom and dad make it all about their kids. What I try to first do is challenge coaches that have kids on the team is, for example, in baseball, that your kid doesn't hit third in the order and play shortstop every inning because everybody wants to do those things. Making sure that your son doesn't pitch every time. Um, making sure if you're a basketball coach that your son's not playing more many, any, or, or more minutes than anybody else. It's really important to have a balance and make sure it's not about your son or your daughter. Uh, you got to make sure it's about the team. One of the things that I teach coaches is you got to learn to build relationships with these kids. So you need to know as a coach, you know, you have a team philosophy. So you have a team philosophy. One year I had a team that it was talent is something, but attitude is everything. So our attitude when we warm up, our attitude when we condition, our attitude when we do the skill work, our attitude is everything about how we approach it. And talent is just something that we, some of us have, some of us have a little bit more. Uh, but those are things that we can control. If you have a team philosophy, then as a coach, i got to learn how to motivate each individual player on my team because you're going to have 12 different personalities on your team, and you can't have just one way to do things. So what I like to challenge coaches with is to understand how many brothers and sisters do they have? How are they doing academically? Because the reality is society and where it is today, I've been doing this for a while now, that you have 12 kids on your roster. Six of those kids are going to have some issues going at home. There's going to be a divorce. There's going to be, a uh, you know, dad's working too much. There's going to be abuse in the family. There's going to be neglect. And so as a coach, we have such a greater responsibility to make sure we're there for them as individuals more than we are just part of our team. And to understand the power that you have as a coach to be able to get to know each individual and learn how in that team setting, the kids, once they know you care about them as a person, they'll play their heart out for you. If you're just a number and you're just trying to mechanically get them better, they're never going to play their heart out for you because they know you generally don't care about them as people. And that's the biggest difference coaches need to know. Jose, how do we go about and when do we go about uh, developing this team philosophy that you've talked about here for the last couple of minutes? Is it something that we want to 
have a good idea about before we start the season, you know, way before we start the season, or is it something that should be kept fluid throughout the season, or, or how do you approach that? Well, you know, every team is different, you know, whether you have a select high-level ball that kids are committed year-round to a sport or whether you have a seasonal stuff, depending at the younger level. So I think you kind of have to go with the territory where you're at uh, and understand. I think you need to have a foundation, just like in our household, about where you stand and where you believe and what you do and how you do it. You have to have that from day one, practice one, so the kids know where their boundaries are. You know, just like in your own home, you have to have a foundation of what you stand on and if you don't have that foundation, the kids are going to run all over you, and you're never going to develop them as people and or as athletes at the same time. So I think you have to have a standard that you start with, but then as the season goes on, as you see your personalities develop, how they gel, how they don't gel, that's part of being a good coach is being able to adapt. And the same thing goes into parenting. You know, as Steve talks about in his book, it's, it's, it's a constant, like, you, you have a foundation, and you, you do those things, but as the personalities change, as some of your kids get older or some of them are still in the toddler stage, I and mean, you got to balance that whole thing out. And so it's not just a, this is black and white how you do it. It's, it You've got to transform with team and with your kids and everything. Jose, you've been giving us some excellent pointers here and just kind of re- really nice and direct to the point. So what do we want to, I want to shift the conversation a little bit because I want our audience to really get a piece of Jose and how you got to this point. Why are you so passionate about this subject that you've written a book that is so powerful here and how parents ought to react with their children? Uh, we're going to get to more of the elite side of, of the sport, those who are in the higher, not just younger children, but the older children. But I want us to tell us a little bit about your life and how you found yourself here. And why is it, I mean, tell us about your young life especially, because you had some things, especially with your father uh, and so forth, early on, around six or seven, eight, and then some things that transitioned to get you to where you are today, and that makes you makes it so powerful a lesson for all of us to learn from you. So give us a little bit of insight about, about Jose. Well, you know, I was adopted when I I was, go ahead. No, go on. It's all you. Okay. Okay, good. So, you know, I was adopted when I was uh, just, you know, six months old by a nice family. And, uh, you know, my dad was my hero. My family, my mom and dad couldn't have uh, any kids biologically of their own, so I was adopted. And uh, I just remember my dad was everything to me. I mean, where he walked, I walked. I wanted to play sports with him. We wanted to go hit golf balls. We wanted to play catch. We wanted to go shoot hoops. Everything that... I did as a young boy. I wanted to be like my dad. My dad got cancer when I was seven, and uh, he passed away on my eighth birthday. And it was or the night before, two hours before my eighth birthday. And so, you know, not having a lot of money, it was just my mom and I, and we lived, you know, we lived in kind of a poor neighborhood and, and uh, soft struggles with different things. And I just remember having that emptiness and having that, uh, just seeing kids after practice go home with their dad and playing catch. And I didn't really have that. And, but I did see coaches that actually cared about me, and I saw coaches that didn't just because I was fortunate to be a good athlete. And so for me, I had sports as kind of an avenue to take that angry and that, that anger and that frustration, that loss, and, and, and not quite understanding of that absence of my father not being there. And uh, But I did have sports, and I did have coaches. And so as I was fortunate to be gifted as a pretty good athlete, you know, in, in high school and playing football and basketball and soccer and baseball and doing things at a pretty high level, um, through that process, I got in trouble and got in, in, involved in some gang life, some real-life gang stuff, and, and I saw people beat up, or I saw people shot at. I saw a lot of different things that a lot of people today, you know, look at me and say, I just can't see that part of you. But I had so much emptiness and frustration uh, that I was almost murdered. I was almost, uh, I had a gun pointed in my head, and, and 
And I thought that was the time I was going to go. And then, you know, the good Lord told me to drop the gun and run, and I ran, and I was expecting to get shot in the back, and I never did. And uh, that day, I, I went home to my mom and said, I need help. And, you know, I had a coach that, uh, I, uh, a friend of mine that I played for, played with, his dad was a college coach, and he was willing to uh, take a chance on me. And his name was Ken Johnson, Coach Jay. And, and uh, he was the first coach ever in my entire life to be ever tell me that I was a good kid just making bad decisions. Up to that point, uh, it was really, you're just you're just a troublemaker, but we're going to put you on the team because you're the best there is, no matter what you do. And so I kind of felt used and frustrated and angry, uh, but sports is something that I was good at naturally. And uh, so since that point, I guess bringing it all around, there's a lot more to the story, but, you know, through college, getting drafted professionally and, and almost playing on the Olympic team and different things, uh, I just realized how much influence a coach has, and I'm passionate about letting them understand that we have a greater responsibility as a coach, and that just translated into myself as a father of four kids, seeing my oldest grow up, and how much he's passionate about sports and stuff. I just, I have such a passion for coaches and fathers to be able to understand their true influence of what uh, of what we really can impact them. It's going to impact them, either positive or negative. And I'm just choosing a route to hopefully be that positive impact with my kids and all the coaches that I come across. Jose, what do you want to tell uh, parents out there today who are struggling with the question of when should kids begin to play sports? I think you have some very good thoughts about that, and I'd like you to share them and answer that question specifically. Well, I think, you know, the earlier they start, the better, you know, in terms of just developing that teamwork and all the different stuff that we talk about all the time, commitment, the structure, all that stuff. I would encourage parents to make sure kids are playing multiple sports at least at age 13. Um, I think we get too individualized too soon. Now, you don't want to force your kids to play something if they don't want to. Uh, but I think it's important to have a balance and make sure they're playing multiple sports, uh, not only just for athleticism, but just, you know, there could be recurring injury if they're doing the same thing all the time. There could be a lot of different things that, that can take place, and I think it's important to have a balance. And today's society has got us caught up. I know of three kids this year in our program that were really good baseball players, but they were great basketball players too, and their basketball coach said to them, Okay, and these guys are 13, 14 years old. There's another kid that was 12. Said, "Well, if you don't commit to basketball full time, you can't be in our select team." And it's just, it's just killing me. You know, I played three, four sports through high school. I know society has changed. There's more commitment and different things. But um, if you're good enough and you have a good attitude and you're a good family, there's going to be coaches. They're going to be okay with you balancing all that stuff out. And so, don't feel the pressure. As I mentioned earlier, it's okay to say no and hold your ground. And there's plenty of teams and plenty of organizations out there that will be willing to take a good family that's committed, that has the right heart, the right attitude, and a kid that's willing to work. That's going to really help benefit not only just the family and where you stand and your morals and your values. It just takes things to a new level. And so um, I really want to encourage parents not to get caught in the trap of more, 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 and I have to commit to this sport at 10 years old. That's the last thing that we should be teaching our kids as society and as a whole. Well, that leads me into my next question. Let's say you have, let's say I have a son or a daughter who is a superior athlete, but I'm not an athlete. 
how do I go about encouraging that without going over the top into the Todd Marinovich story that I brought up earlier in the beginning of the show? Well, you know, well, you definitely, you know, I mean, for us and our family, you know, we're going to put God first over everything else. And so we're going to make sure we let the Spirit lead us and make sure we understand that that's who we are and that God is always going to be the priority without making sure that we're just shoving it down somebody's throat and, and, and making the kids resent church and different things. It's really important to have a balance with that. But the highly gifted athlete, and if you're not an athlete as a parent, if your kids are gifted in something, we want to encourage them that because that's going to challenge them in life to be able to work harder, get better, you know, challenge each other, do the different things that we need to be successful in life. I mean, at the end of the day, sports is just an avenue to help you prepare for life. Very few people play at the highest level, and the ones that do, believe it or not, that the, you hear the stars that play 15 years in the NFL and 12 years in the NBA and 10 years in Major League Baseball. But, you know, for Major League Baseball, the average you know career is just a few years. So even if you make it to the highest level, you're only there for a couple of years, and most professional athletes are done by the time they're 30. So what do they learn in that process from five years old up to 30 to be able to get that? The highly gifted athlete, as a parent, you can't treat them any different than the rest of your kids. They still got to take out the garbage. They still got to do their homework. You can't give them special treatment because God gave them a gift to be able to be pretty athletic. I mean, that's the first thing that I see happen is, oh, well, maybe he's my college scholarship or maybe he's a pro contract. The first thing is apparently you should never discuss those things because then you're putting your identity and your hope in some sport. You're not raising an athlete, you're raising a child. And so making sure you balance all that, that stuff out is extremely important. Jose, what I'd like to share with our audience, and I know they don't uh, know as much as this, but I want you to let, tell us how you are not just talking about this. This is something that you're living. And, uh, I know you won't say this because you're so humble about your, 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 your positioning here and your, your, this gift that you have. But as well, um, your son just made an international traveling team, I believe. He did. Yeah. He made. Yep, he made Team USA down to uh, go play against uh, down in the Dominican Republic in August. He's going down there to play against Venezuela and Puerto Rico and Aruba and some different uh, countries around the world. Yeah, and and I want you to just to put this in the perspective for us because you, you didn't know this. You are writing this book. In fact, you've been writing this book a while, and this blessing just came to you. So. Uh, from one father to another, and other other parents that maybe listen to this show, what does that mean? As you've written this book and this opportunity has arisen for your child, what does it? How, how, put us in perspective for us. What are you feeling? What is going on right now in that in this mo- in this moment? Well, you know, of course, you're pr- you're proud dad, and you're excited about the opportunity and stuff. But for me, that's not my identity. I know my, how my son plays on the field or on the court or whatever he chooses to do. That's not who I am as an individual. I need to live, live with such, and he's so young, he doesn't even really get the bigger picture. Like, you know, he's the youngest player ever to be invited to play on a US, Team USA, to go down to the Dominican Republic. He doesn't get it. He's just an eight-year-old kid that's just pretty gifted. Um, but you ask my son, if I was to get him on the phone, what dad talks about, and he'll say, dad cares about me being a good friend, a good teammate, hustling on off the field, honor Jesus and everything I do, and control my attitude and effort to be positive. Now, is he perfect at his age? Absolutely not. But he knows that's what makes dad proud. He knows that's what makes Jesus proud. That's what makes mom proud. And so what goes on with me is we're making sure that I have accountability that I don't get caught up in it like everybody else does and say, because my son is my son and he may develop to be a fabulous ball player someday. He might 
tap out at 10 years old. And so I always keep that in my mind and not understand that, you know, how he performs at eight is not going to maybe how he's going to be at 10 or 12. He may develop. He may not. I've been doing this long enough to see many kids at 10 years old that are really, really, really good. And at 14, everybody caught up to them, you know. And I've seen kids that have went to the highest level and played in Major League Baseball. And so for me, as a, as a father, I'm just more interested in his character and his attitude and his effort than I ever am him performing on the field. And my goal through the sports is he is so passionate about it and he loves it and he does have a gift at this point is to be able to teach them those life lessons in the moment, in the team, in the dugout, all the different things. And so that's, that's my passion. That's my hope is that, you know, for me, if I had a little dream for my son, Nico, and who knows with Teo, the younger one of my girls, I would love for him to be able to, you know, um, have a good college career, maybe a small division three Christian school that he can get an education and come over and take over the business. And he takes on the legacy that, that, that I've tried to build here and try to be able to do what God's called him to do here. Uh, that would be my hope, but who knows what God's plan is for Nico. But I want to give him that opportunity to, to understand that dad doesn't care ever how he performs in the field, if his attitude and his effort and his character doesn't change if he goes 4 4 4 That's my hope. And it's going to take time to develop that. Um, but I think that's every parent's ultimate goal. But all of a sudden, their son or daughter has some success in something, and they do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden, they're so caught up in it, they don't talk about attitude and effort anymore. They talk about the performance over and over again. And that's what I want to help parents and coaches to avoid doing that. Back with more Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose, where we're talking about how to create winning relationships through sports with Jose Rijo Berger, the, the author of a book by the same name and the head of Rijo Athletics in Woodenville, Washington, and my co-host, Zeke Bambolo is right by my side. Once again, you're listening to Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone. Fascinating conversation again uh, this week, Zeke. And I got the next question here. Jose, what was the toughest chapter or the toughest part of the book for you to write? Whew, uh, that's easy. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8 with Nevea, my daughter. Um, when you read the book, I put a whole chapter in there dedicated to her. My wife and I adopted a, a special needs baby that uh, she was born with uh, drugs in her sy- system, cleft lip and palate. Uh, she had to be fed through a tube. And uh, I've seen her struggles and the things that she's, you know, she's developmentally behind. And, and uh, she's, she's got a lot of challenges and different things. But that being said, my wife and I wouldn't trade her for the world. I mean, I'm so thankful that God chose me to be her father. And... Um, one of the things that I put in there is just some of her struggles and some of the things that she deals with when I go out and I watch parents, myself included, uh, that get really frustrated if their kid doesn't get a hit or if they um, are not successful on the basketball court or miss a game one shot or whatever the situation may be. Um, I see people so stressed and so hyper about it that it's just, it it almost breaks my heart to think about it when I'm looking at my daughter and the, and the, and my daughter's name is Nevaeh and I put you know Nevaeh what she taught me perspective and the chapter title is perspective because I'm just hoping that my daughter 
and develop and do the things that she needs to do that God will cause her to do, whether whatever that may be or how she develops or how she doesn't, that she can do what God called her to do. Where if you're stressed, if your kid doesn't get a hit or doesn't make a hoop or doesn't make a team, let's put things into perspective. You know, and so I try to give a picture of the things that we stress about, we really shouldn't stress about that that much. You know, that doesn't mean you can't get excited as a parent. That can't mean as a kid you can't get passionate. We got to keep things in perspective of what you sports are today because they're going to come and go beforehand. You know, I mean, they're going to come and go. And perspective is really important. And so I think, you know, I had multiple people read the book before I published it. And about every single one of them said they almost cried on that chapter because it just laid out the bigger picture in life. Jose, you're talking here, again, perspective. You're talking about, especially about a daughter. And uh, I I don't want to take away from what you just told us a little bit, I mean, in terms of Nevaeh and what's been, what's going on in your life uh, and your wife's and your family as you raise this beautiful young lady. I've seen her a few times myself, and uh, she's a cherished one. Um, you know, I want people to realize, and if you can help us get to this this understanding as well, is that you are not coming here and preaching that we shouldn't challenge our children especially to uh, to go above and beyond are you because sometimes because we're talking about this subject sometimes people, parents are saying well they what I'm being told is completely back away and let my kid literally just you know whatever develops develops help us understand that you are asking us to to push but there is a healthy and a clear way of understanding how to push our children to do well without hurting them long-term. Well, yeah, and the first thing I would say is there's no perfect parent. There was one perfect person that walked this earth, and that was Jesus Christ. And that's our goal, to be able to follow his lead and what he did. Um, but every parent is going to make a mistake. If any parent says they don't, got it all figured out, introduce me to him, because I want to talk to him. That's, it's just reality. We're all going to make mistakes. And so to answer that, you know, we need to challenge and push, because from a biblical perspective in our family, as Nico accepted Christ already at his young age, is to understand that, you know, you give Jesus the victory regardless of what happens with the outcome. And that's your ultimate goal. And he knows that's the message from Dad. And I think as a family, as a, as a father, you want to push them to excel at everything that they do. You know, what does the Bible teach us? That we run the race to win. We don't just run the race to have fun, right? And so our expectations as believers need to understand that if you've making that decision to be able to follow the Lord and, and do his calling and do what you're supposed to do, our expectations and our standard is so much higher. The challenge is making sure it's not the performance that we're always focused on. It's not that Ephesians, you know, 2 8 where we're you know, we're justified by our faith, not by our works. Same thing applies as we go into sports to understand that, you know, we're we're our attitude, if we lose by ten runs or we go for four and strike out four times, if our attitude is still glorifying to the Lord, even though you're not like the situation that you may be in or your performance, your attitude reflects the Savior. And so that's the ultimate goal. So as parents, we have to have a much higher standard because we have the highest standard that was ever created, and that's Jesus. Jose, you've brought in a lot of different elements and tied them all together here today. And what I hear you trying to do when when you mention how God wants us to perform in every area of life This brings up a very, very important question that I'd like you to clarify for a lot of people out there listening to our show today. There are a lot of people who don't see a correlation between God and sports or uh, 
see that God, you know, might not be really that interested in sports or that people may use God in some way to say that God influences the outcome in a particular way of a sporting event. Can you tackle that uh, subject and give us a little bit of perspective on that very important question? Well, I think it's really important to understand God cares about everything. Everything in our lives he cares about, whether it's the hair on our head or a sports performance or a family. He cares about every single detail in our life, and that's the beautiful part about God and who he is because he doesn't look at us as, well, this is just way more important than that. He looks at everything that we do as important, and that's why we got to get him the victory and stuff. And I always tell my son, he goes, well, you know, I ask him to, you know, our teams, we pray before the game. We try to be example for the community and all the different things. And I, I said, son, I don't want you to pray for victory. I don't want you to pray that you win. I want you to pray that you're a good example regardless and that God gets the victory regardless of the outcome. And I try to teach the kids that because you put God all of a sudden in this position, if it's from your perspective, to say, okay, what if there's six Christians on this team and six Christians on this team and they're both playing for a victory? So now all of a sudden God's the bad guy because one guy doesn't, one team wins and one guy doesn't. And so it's not a realistic point of view because that's not how God views it. He doesn't view who wins the game to be able to say, you know, that's the, that's the victory. That's who I cared about more or loved more. That's just the, that's the, that's the I guess it's the immature perspective on who God is because that's not how he views it. And so, you know, it, it, he does care about the heart. That's what he cares about and not the outcome of who wins and who loses. Excellent, excellent thought. And I want to give you this opportunity in our remaining moments to tell us what is the central message that you want to leave with our audience today and have them take home and share with the people around them in their circle of influence? You know, you know, sports is such a gigantic part of what we do, um, not just me, but, I mean, just America. I mean, look at, you know, look at the NFL and the NBA and the hockey and baseball and all the different sports, and it just goes all the way down to the kids that are five or six years old. And so the overall message, what I try to get into the book and what I want to um, do in the future, because I feel like I have three or four more books in me right now in my head, it's just making the time to be able to do it and stuff, is making sure that we're balancing it all out and making sure that we're not getting so caught up in the here and now that we don't have goals and plans and things for our family to get accomplished. Don't let the sports become your family's identity. You know, find out as a family some things that you want to accomplish, some things you want to teach your kids, some things you want to do from vacations and different things that you want to do, and make sure that family time and the things that you do is a priority. And I'm saying you can't have family time like this weekend. In a couple hours, my family and I were leaving to Yakima for Nico's Rio Athletics 10U tournament in Yakima, you know, but the whole family's going. So I have the four kids, my wife, and the hotel, and that's good family time. And you can incorporate and balance both of those, but if you're not balancing everything and making sure family is the priority versus the sport, that's where I think the ever-ending message is getting too caught up in that today and making sure you make sure that family is the most important thing versus the sport. That's what I want to get across in the book, and that's what I hope I did, is to understand that family is forever. Sports is going to come and go, and it'd be part of our life either a lot or little, um, but family is forever, and how do we build it to such a strong relationship where we're still giving hugs and phone calls and 
the things that we want when the kids are gone, because there's nothing more in my heart than I want my 25-year-old son when I'm, you know, 55, 60 years old, whatever I'll be, to give me a man up and say, Dad, I love you still. I appreciate all you did for me and all the things you did. And all, hopefully he's and the rest of my kids are in a position to be able to feel that same way. That's the end result for me, not if he gets a college scholarship, not if he plays pro ball. That means zero to me about, about you know, what our kids accomplish. So that's the message I hope. I hope that we message got, couple, got across. We've got a couple of minutes here, and I want you to, to touch on something special to my heart. And, and we know sports, this is not a, we've been talking a lot about America, uh, and that's where we are. And sports is much bigger, obviously, now as a world, uh, on a world stage. And I want you within a minute or so here, give us a, just a little thought, because you've done some work internationally as well. And for me, with the international flavor, a bit of, you know, this has, sports was never this big goal of my parents were raising me. My dad said, do your schoolwork, do those things right. I never really thought someday I'd be playing pro ball or playing college in America or anything. I just grew up, I understand that I loved and pass, it was passionate about the game. So when you go and see other countries and what's going on with sports and how they're using sports how can you correlate with this book being effective in a, in, in a in nicaragua or in africa somewhere else what do you think is going on there well you know in the dominican republic we're going later this summer and nicaragua and stuff where we've been i mean um that's their only way out so they have a whole different mindset mentality because if they cannot play at that high level and if they cannot do what they are trying to do there's no way for them out of the country there's no way for them to get you know, out of poverty, there's there's really no hope in that. And so they do put so much identity in that. I think the thing you can teach the other countries and stuff is don't make it just about you. If you want to make it to the highest level and you have that passion and that focus, we want to, we want to challenge that and we want to motivate that and we want to do those things. But no one wants to be around that jerk. No one wants to be around that guy who's all about him. And so learn to be a good friend, learn to be a good teammate, learn to be a good person, learn to do the things that will, you know, make you successful in life, and if you have the gift and the opportunity to take the next level, well, there's still some things that we could teach in those foreign countries to be able to, especially those poor countries, the Latin American countries, I mean, their baseball is it for them, you know, and so to be able to teach those things, I think, could be a, uh, an insight to be able to maybe separate them from the ones that make it and the ones that don't. Jose, in our remaining moments, I want you to tell us how we can get a hold of the book and get a hold of you. Uh, RioAthletics.com, it's R-I-J-O, Athletics.com. The book's on there, and the book's also on Amazon. Uh, we were fortunate we became the number one seller in the baseball coaching section and uh, seen some great reviews about it and stuff. And so you can go to Amazon and just type in my name, Jose Rio Berger, or Creating Winning Relationships Through Sports. Um, I feel like i got to know a couple more books to me. You mentioned earlier, Rich, you know, Does God Belong in Sports? I literally think that might be the next title for my book. I told Jay Rainey at church. I think that might be the book, Does God Belong in Sports? And be able to get that in there and how we can incorporate him in everything that we do. So in a nutshell, I'm uh, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the impact this book's already had and it's going to have. Um, and to make it clear, it's not about me. It's not about Jose. It's about God and what he's done in my life. Because anybody who knows me knows that i got some really, really good people around me, the best staff in America, and I'm not that smart. And all the glory goes to God because it's not about me. It's about what he's done in me and what I hope to do for him in the future. So that's that's the opportunity and the hope that I have. Well, Jose, we really appreciate your time, your testimony, and the book. Join us next week for another exciting episode of Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. 